faith to me um, is something that is that is very close to my heart, especially when it comes to to working with youth, which is what I do. Um, I work with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I have a passion for communicating faith in a way that maybe doesn't seem so much doesn't seem so lofty sometimes, right? So, so far out there, like faith is this thing that you need to believe in the stuff that's out there somewhere, right? Um, not for everybody. I think our culture has moved over time, over the years, maybe like something like 15 or 20 years ago, science proved everything, right? We, we believe, we knew it was true because of science and our culture has shifted a little bit. It's moved um, more towards Science gives us truth now towards there is no truth, right? And so what do you put your faith in? What do you, put, where, where, where do you, where do you place your faith? If, if science is what give, used to give us truth, but science used to kind of be against faith, it's like you can't really be a reasonable person, an intelligent person if you have faith. Like those don't go together, right? And then all of a sudden now we're being, we're being told there is no truth. Where do you place your faith in, right? How do you communicate faith? to a culture that seems to not either know what faith is or seems to not have a need for faith. And so that is, that is kind of the approach I wanted to take. Um, I'm a really big fan of apologetics. I don't know if anybody knows what, what apologetics is. Apologetics uh, is the, the study or the, the defense of, the, of faith through a philosophical and logical perspective, right? So, a lot of people, people like um, Lee Strobel. I don't know if you've heard of Lee Strobel. He wrote The Case for Christ. He even came out with the movie. And so his journey is he was an atheist whose wife became a Christian, and he was not having it, right? And so he wanted to debunk Christianity. It's a bunch of fairy tales made up by people 2,000 years ago. So he goes on this two-year journey and puts his, all his skills. He was a journalist, right? So he was all about facts and evidence. And so Lee Strobel goes on this two-year journey to debunk Christianity ends up becoming a Christian himself, right? And I say this to, just to emphasize that despite what our culture might try to feed us, right? Despite what, um, what we might hear sometimes from those who, who don't share our beliefs, we have reason to put our confidence in Christ. We have reason to have faith in what scripture has to say about who God is and yeah, we have reason for that confidence. And so, uh, first thing I want to do is ask, and if you have something to write with, or if you have your phone, uh, you can either type it out or just write it. I want to ask you guys a question, and, and you're going to write out the answer, and then just kind of hold on to it. The question is, how would you define faith? You personally. If someone was to ask you, what is faith? Right? And especially in this culture where one thing might mean to you, it might mean a little different to me. What is faith to you? So you can type it out on your phone or write it out and just think of that answer. Keep it to yourself and sit with it. How would you define faith? And to, to kick us off, uh, I want to start today by comparing life, comparing life or reality. I want to compare it to an ocean, right? Um, an ocean that everybody needs to navigate. We're all in this, we're all doing this together, right? Life is an ocean. And as we consider the options as to how to best navigate this ocean, 
What if someone offered you, as an option, a car? Not just any car, before you, you jump, right? Not just any car, but what if it was a Bugatti, a Lambo? Any takers? Anybody? We're, we're, we're navigating an ocean. Would you want to navigate an ocean with a Bugatti? Rigo said no. Why not, Rigo? It's a Bugatti. Okay. You can't. Okay, so it's not the proper means to navigate water. Okay. So scratch that. What about swimming? Yeah. It's an ocean. Any good swimmers here? I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Swimming. I mean, swimming is the, the skill of navigating water when we don't have anything else to rely on, right? So maybe swimming? Maybe? Yeah? No? I mean, for those of us who feel pretty confident in our swimming skills, what happens when you get tired? Drown. You sink. Right? Exactly. Worst case scenario, maybe you're doing a pretty good job. What happens when tides and currents and storms come and the waves start? How long do you last then, right? So yes, maybe, maybe, so definitely not the car. Maybe swimming, maybe not. Um, oh, sorry. Why don't we jump to the, to the obvious, obvious option, right? What about a boat? Anybody want a boat to navigate this ocean? Yeah, boat? Cool. Why? Why a boat? It'd be steady, okay. Longer distance. Ultimately, the boat, the boat is the proper means with which we can navigate water. Right? Everybody say proper. Proper. Proper means through which we can navigate water. And even the right boat will get you through a storm, Right? And so today I want to make the case that faith is the proper means through which we can navigate life, with which we can see and better yet draw near to God and also walk away from sin. If you want to open up your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Hebrews um, for a little bit. Uh, if not, we got slides. Uh, but in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 uh, and in chapter 11, the book of Hebrews refers to faith as confidence and assurance. It says, uh, chapter 10, verse 19 through 21, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, what? What? Confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Confidence and assurance. Later on in that same chapter, it says, but we, being people of faith, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So here it's not necessarily giving the, the, the words, right, confidence and assurance, but it makes that difference, that contrast, that those who shrink away are not like the ones who have faith, and the ones who have faith are not, they're not the same thing. In the next chapter of Hebrews, the writer goes on to, to speak of faith in this way, and in verse 1 and 2 it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and 
about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Confidence and assurance. And so Hebrews 1, 11, chapter 11, verse 1 gives us this definition, right? And this is a pretty well-known verse that faith is the confidence of what we hope for. It gives us this definition that we shouldn't read over so casually. And I make this point maybe more because of the, the times that we live in, maybe because of in our world, we're, we're so diverse, right? There's so many opinions, there's so many options. And we have to pay close attention to what scripture defines faith to be. This is where we get our definition, the definition. So despite what our, our culture might tell us, faith is not wishful thinking. And it's not blind, unguided hope. The Greek translation to this verse tells us that originally the word confidence means something along the lines of the concrete thing we stand on. The concrete thing that we stand on. And this is why in Christ's parable, he marries hearing his words. He marries it with doing it, with putting it into action. And then he calls that building on the rock. At the end of verse two there, it says that this is what the ancients were commended for. And what Hebrews 11 goes on to do, it gives us a list, a list of heroes of the faith that by faith moved and took action in confidence, even when most of them never got or received the fullness of what God had promised them. From Abel to the prophets, they took God at his word. They took God at his word. Anybody ever been to court or seen, I don't know, law and order? A lot, of, a lot of the evidence that they use, sometimes we, we assume, I don't know, right? I'm not a cop. But we assume that people solve cases based on like DNA that they find, right? That's, that's the evidence. A lot of it actually comes down to testimony, word. And so the ancients that the book of Hebrews talks about, people like Moses, like Abraham, were commended for their faith because God said they believed and did, Right? Faith is not a lack of evidence, contrary to what maybe someone like Richard Dawkins would say. Richard Dawkins is a famous atheist. Um, well, he was. Uh, I don't know how famous he is anymore, but yeah, this, this guy was hostile against religion, right? And, and he would say things like, "Faith, you don't, if, if there is evidence, you don't need faith. And if there is faith, it's because you don't have enough evidence, right? But faith is not a lack of evidence. Faith is simply putting your trust in the evidence you've been given. To a degree, every detective, every, every cop that has looked for evidence has found evidence and put his trust in the evidence and his ability to interpret the evidence. Sometimes the only evidence we get is God said so. And that makes no sense to a world that does not know God. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God said so. Pharaoh's like, who? It made no sense.
This is why Abraham is called the father of faith because he took God at his word and that was enough for him to go. God tells Abraham, leave your land, leave your family, take what's yours. I'll let you know when you get there. Sit, sit with that for a moment. Take your family, take your stuff, leave everything that you know, go and I'll let you know when you get there. God's word, that's all he had. Who is Abraham in history today? We might not agree with, with Islam and Judaism on a lot of things, but these are three major world religions that, that trace their, their history back to Abraham. Right? God promised, I will make you a father of many nations. Did God keep his promise? Imagine Abraham and say, ah, you know what, God? Yeah, I know you said so. I'm going to need a little more. Shoot, that's what I would have done. It's like, I, I have a really hard time just taking God at his word sometimes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit it. It's, it's not easy. But this is why Abraham is known as the father of faith, right? And so we have to understand what scripture means by confidence. Because confidence isn't just, scripture isn't just talking about confidence for confidence sake. It's, it's confidence in who, right? In the book of Psalm, chapter 20, verse 7, King David says, some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. King David had the proper perspective of where to place his confidence. Why does this matter? Because faith, first and foremost, allows us to know and have communion with God. We saw this in the first passage that we read, right? It says that we... We come to God with the full assurance that faith gives us. And secondly, it holds us, it carries us, and sustains us as we navigate the realities of life. Like the boat that keeps us from sinking when the storms and waves come and gives us the assurance that we will make it. And the reason why I emphasize that faith is the proper means to navigate life like a boat is to water, is because without faith placed in God, we have but ourselves to navigate. And if all we have is ourselves, we will begin to see life only through our logic, only through our understanding, and our limited human perspective. I forgot to give you guys the title. I don't know if it was up there, but I titled this sermon today, Faith, Flesh, and Finitude. Finitude means to be limited. So when we abandon faith, we leave it up to our flesh. If we dismiss faith, if we cast faith to the side, what is left but this, this, right? Our flesh. And how concrete is our flesh? If faith is the concrete we stand on and we decide to not stand on that, and we decide to leave it to our flesh, how concrete is your flesh? How trustworthy is our own personal sense of right and wrong? Put three people in the room, ask them what right is and what wrong is. How many opinions do you come up with? Life is going to happen. 
Waves and storms are going to come, and without putting our trust in Jesus, we will not be able to see God through it. So many people turn away from God because they either see or they experience the waves and storms of life and cannot reconcile. They can't make sense of how suffering and pain exist and yet a good God exists. And so they turn away from God because they jumped ship. The ship is faith. They jumped ship. When we abandon ship and decide to swim instead, when we choose to trust ourselves, we will replace God with ourselves. So yes, faith is confidence. But today, I want to make the case that the faith is confidence. It is also surrender. To demonstrate your confidence, your trust in the boat, to get you across the water, first you have to surrender to the boat by fully entering the boat. And in order to exercise the confidence of faith, first you must step into surrendering to Christ. In the book of Romans, book of Romans, Paul tells us of how Israel missed this. Romans chapter 10, verse 3, it says, Since they, Israel, did not know the righteousness of God and sought. And pause there. And they, they sought. That's the past tense of to seek, to look for. Right? When you're looking for something and you find it, did you kind of like accidentally come across it? Was it, oops, oh, there it is. You were seeking it. You were looking for it. So because they did not know the righteousness of God and were looking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So yes, faith is confidence, but faith is also surrender. In this chapter uh, of the book of Romans, scripture tells us of how even when, even when the word about Christ is spoken and shared, if our hearts are hard, we will not be able to make space for faith nor accept the salvation or the lordship, the lordship of Christ. Later on in that same chapter, we find a very commonly used verse that talks about faith. It says, verse 17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. A lot of people know this, right? Whenever we talk about faith in church, a lot of people come to this. This is how we, we get Christ. And that's what I thought when I would read this. I thought this, was, uh, this verse was more like the, the headliner of this chapter, right? Um, that this chapter had to do something with how you get faith. But as I was preparing for, for today and, and really studying and reading the, the context, um, Paul is actually making the point that when you have already decided, when you have already decided to leave God out of the picture, no amount of information, which Israel had plenty of, no amount of information or even sometimes revelation, which they also had. Right? They had the Torah, they had prophets, they had Christ himself, his death, his resurrection. They had revelation. 
So no amount of information or even sometimes revelation will convince you of who God is when you have already decided what you're going to believe or what you're not going to believe. So like I said, I, I enjoy really listening to apologetics and, and people who are scientifically driven or logically driven, philosophically driven, and make, make a good case for why there is reason to believe in the creator or in, in Christ. And there's a man by the name of Stephen Meyer who I recently heard, and he was making a great case. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, he was making a great case for how the way life is designed, if you look at a cell, if you look at a cell, it is a machine. It works like a machine, right? It's all these parts that come together to make it happen, right? And you look at our universe, they call it the fine tuning of the universe, right? Because despite whatever anomalies and unusual things might happen, whatever mistakes and imperfections we see in our universe, nobody worries if the sun is going to come up tomorrow. 24 hours from now, can you tell me what time it will be? Somebody look at your phone. What time is it going to be 24 hours from now? How do you know? You said it with such confidence. <coughs> Fine-tuning, right? There are, there are things in our universe that work a certain way, almost as if it was done on purpose. I am not a, a math kind of guy. I struggled a lot growing up in school. Math was not my thing. But I've recently... Uh, hearing Stephen Meyer talk about, about God and the way he was, uh, I've come to grow rather fond of math because when you look at math, our universe makes sense, and we know it makes sense because of math. Yesterday, two plus two was what? Today it's, tomorrow it will be, why? Right? Why? It seems like there are parts in our universe that came together to make it work so that we can actually observe. We couldn't do science. The only reason we can do science is because we can do this, right? We can expect that this is going to happen. It can repeat. Now, does this immediately take us back to, to Jesus? Maybe not. But at least it makes the case for, wait a minute, maybe, maybe this is not an accident. Maybe there is reason to say, Information exists in DNA. If it's information, information comes from a mind. We know this. We don't, we don't perceive language and say, oh, that's, that's a nice act. Like, oops. Nobody looks at language and says, oh, that's, that's random. No, we understand. We trace it back to an intelligence. And this is the case that Stephen Meyer was making. But he goes on to say that despite all the good cases that that scientists who believe in God can make, John, John Lennox is somebody who also does this, despite all the good cases that they make, there are some scientists who, who they, they debate, and the moment that Stephen Meyer or, or someone like John Lennox will make a good case, they're like, wait, wait a minute, you believe in miracles? Miracles can't be a thing. They, they go against the laws of nature. They go against the laws of physics. They go, like, our universe doesn't work like this. Miracles are not possible. Right? They've already decided that miracles are not possible, so any explanation, any, any case that is made cannot convince them because they've already decided that since miracles are not possible, 
I can't accept your case. No matter how compelling, no matter how well put together the case may be, or the argument may be. I've already decided what I'm not going to believe. Miracles are not possible. There's no such thing as God. Therefore, anything you have to say is not valid. But what they seem to fail to understand is that faith is not anti-logic. It just goes beyond it. Faith doesn't invite you to abandon your intelligence. It just invites you to look beyond your own intelligence. The same way that a boat is not anti-swimming, it just goes beyond it. But again, if we have already decided that we won't believe in God, how can we be convinced by God? So faith is confidence. But we must surrender to Christ so that we can walk in the confidence of the faith in Christ. Faith is the proper means through which humanity can properly interact with God as creator, Lord, and Savior. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He is a rewarder of those who what? Seek him. Is he a rewarder of really smart people? Is it, is it your smartness, your intelligence? Is it your, your goody two-shoes? Is it those who never miss a Sunday service? It's those who what? Seek him. Hmm. And what was Israel seeking in Romans 10? What were they seeking? To establish what? Their own righteousness. That, that's something actually, I, I didn't put this in, in our sermon today, but that's something actually that I think is at the heart of every human being, right? Look at Adam and Eve. They sought to establish their own righteousness. Where are we? Where are we establishing our own righteousness? Where are we looking to kind of remove God so that we can have our say? Without faith placed in Christ, we leave it to our flesh to decide what is right and what is good. And that's how we come to a way of living that's far from God. Even when we have all the information and perform all the rituals. And so faith, faith gives us a proper view of who God is. He is Lord, creator, and savior. Faith also holds us and sustains us as we navigate life. But faith should also move us from sin. In Hebrews 11, they give us the list of all the heroes, heroes of the faith, right? Who, who took God at his word and then moving on to chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, these heroes that have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily, that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Pastor Carlos often says that it's not, it's not doubt that, you know, kills your faith. Doubt is almost evidence of the fact that you're wrestling with faith. 
So yes, doubt is not the mark of faithlessness. Rather, pride, which is at the beginning of sin. It is what fuels the flesh and convinces us that we do not need to put our faith in Jesus, that we got this. I don't need that boat. I'm going to swim. And so the writer of Hebrews is motivating the readers that just like the ones that came before them, that they too should shed whatever hinders. What is it in our lives that hinders us from surrendering and putting our confidence in Christ? So faith is surrendering to God and walking in confidence of who he is and what he says. So we can say that faith points us to the truth of who God is to remind us of our finitude. Everybody say finitude. Finitude means to be limited, to be finite, to be bound, right? So faith points us to God to remind us of our finitude and to overcome our flesh. I was going to leave this story for, for next Sunday, but I'll share it with you guys today. Um, some of you guys know this story already, but in 2015, uh, yeah, it was around this time, 2015, suddenly I became uh, ill. Uh, I had vertigo. It came out of nowhere. I had no idea where, where it came from. I went to see doctors and they told me, oh, you just got to do these, you know, position your head in the, in, in the in, you know, place your head in the position where you're most dizzy and hold it for 10 seconds. It should go away over time. So I did that and it got worse instead of getting better. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I did it wrong. The point is it got worse, right? So I went from just being dizzy. I could, I could stand, I could talk and I would, I would just get dizzy. And the room would start spinning. As it got worse, I could not lift my head beyond this point. I was, I was like this because any, any movement from here would just make everything start spinning. So I went from hospital to hospital. I went to three different hospitals. At the third hospital, they're like, yeah, I don't, we don't, I don't, we're going to keep you here for a week. We'll do some tests. We don't know what's wrong with you. So they kept me for a week. They ran me through tests. They MRIs. They washed out my ears. They pulled spinal fluid to see if I had a tumor or anything. Um, nothing. I was there for a week. They sent me home. Something along, they said something along the lines of like, well, it looks like you're dizzy. Thanks. Um, so I was in bed for two and a half months. I lost about 20 pounds. I couldn't eat. Um, I would try to go. I was living in L.A. with my grandparents at the time. And from my room to the, to the bathroom, it wasn't too far of a walk. And because the doctors had originally told me that I needed to position my head in a way that, that made me most dizzy... I would try to do that. I would walk from my bed to the bathroom, and I'd have to go to the bathroom because then I'd feel like throwing up right, when I would do it. So I would try to lift my head and hold it for as long as I could, and it just, it just wouldn't work. Immediately, I'd feel like throwing up. And so I would try it and try it for months. Right? Um, people from church would come pray. They'd come visit. And it was, it was funny because they'd be sitting across from me and I'd be sitting on my bed like this trying to talk to them and couldn't make eye contact. Um, anyways, people came and they would pray and they would pray. And I would have, 
I had some of the greatest moments of worship with God in that time of my life. I, I was in bed. I had nowhere to go, nothing to do. So all I would do is listen to worship music and sermons. And so God, God was very present through that time. Towards the end of that time, two, two ladies from church who were like the, the prayer warriors of our church there, they came to visit. My grandpa was there. I think my dad had gone down to L.A. to visit me too. And there was, there was a group of us in the room, and I'm lying on my bed. They invited me to sit up, and I'm sitting on the edge of my bed like this, and they start going at it. They start praying, right? Um, and and it, in, in my head, I, am, I know God can heal me. I believe it, right? But as they're praying, like so many others had prayed before them, for whatever reason, this time, I felt God put it on my heart, either you believe I can heal you or you don't. What I interpreted in that moment, in that split second, was God is calling me to take action. And so as they're praying, I slid off my bed, I started to walk, I lifted my head, and for the first time that night, I slept on my back, and I could look at the ceiling. I can't explain what happened. I went through three different hospitals, doctors, this wasn't something that was going to kill me. We just didn't know. It was hindering you know, my, my life. Two and a half months without eating properly. And all of a sudden, I can sleep on my back. I can't unlift that. I can't unsee that. There is no medical explanation as to why that moment. Right? So faith is not anti-logic, it just goes beyond it. And yes, my reason, my logic cannot explain it other than God said so, so I did, and then it happened. And what if God had not healed me that night, right? What happens to all the people who God doesn't heal? Faith carries you through those questions. It always begins, it's about where you start, where are you starting? Where is your point of origin? Where is your point of takeoff? If your takeoff point is your own logic and your own ability to reason and make sense of this world, God will never make sense to you. But if your point of origin is God's goodness, no matter what you navigate, because you know God is good, this right here is not the end of you. And this right here is not the end of God. Where is your point of origin? Where have you placed your confidence? Who have you surrendered to? I'll leave you with these questions. I'll leave, I'll leave us with these questions to wrestle with. Where do we need to check our pride? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy. Father, we thank you, God Almighty, for the opportunities that you give us, God, to be part of your plan. Father, I don't know everybody's story at the moment. I don't know where each individual is on their walk and their journey with you. But wherever our faith may be, Lord, whether our faith seems to be enormous right now and, and vibrant, Lord, or whether it seems to be as small as a mustard seed right now, Lord, God, I pray you would take us, take us by the hand to continue wrestling, to continue fighting, to continue persevering, 
never letting go of the truth of who you are. No matter what we face in this life, that this life does not define your goodness. This life does not define your power, God. Remind us, Lord. Invite us to look back to see your faithfulness and how good you have been and how far you have brought us. Remind us, Lord, of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your love, of your truth. God, that in this generation, Lord, you would begin to move and stir hearts of people, Lord, that will know who you are. that will boldly speak of who you are, God. We might not have all the right answers all the time, but that we wouldn't forget what it is that we're standing on. Carry us, God, through our doubts. Carry us through the hard times, the good times, Father, when we don't have answers. Carry us through that, Lord. This morning, Lord, we we leave this place putting our confidence in you and surrendering to you. May your word be enough for us, Lord. In your name, Jesus, amen.